Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. This episode is brought to you by Carnivora. Exercise has been shown to help people lose weight and lower the risk of many diseases, including obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. Exercise can fight depression and even extend our life. Our next guest has done extensive research on exactly why exercise is so powerful. Her new book is called Exercise is Medicine. It's time to put on your running shoes. Get out of that chair and start moving, but don't run away just yet. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest was a staff writer at the Boston Globe for 23 years. She graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Wellesley College and has a master's degree from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. In addition, she has lectured extensively on medicine at Harvard Medical School. She's a fellow in medical ethics at Harvard Medical School and a Knight Science Journalism fellow at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. As host of a weekly call-in radio show on healthtalk.com, she shared cutting-edge topics helping people from coast to coast. She's the author of three best-selling books and the winner of more than 50 journalism awards, including the 1998 George Foster Peabody Award and the 2015 Science and Society Award from the National Association of Science Writers. Please welcome to the show Judy Foreman, author of Exercise is Medicine, How how Physical Activity Boosts Health and Slows Aging. Such a great topic. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for the lovely introduction. Oh, it's great. You know, obesity has become really an epidemic, and while many health experts I've had on the show, they blame diet, I believe a bigger factor is we sit too much. People are behind a desk at work, hours binge-watching Netflix, playing video games. They say sitting is the new smoking. Share with us why a lack of movement is so detrimental to our health. Yes, in fact, I have a whole chapter called Sitting Kills because, unfortunately, <laughs> it really does. Yeah, sitting is believed to be the new smoking. It's bad for you in so many ways that if there's one thing you really want to do for your health, exercise is probably it, uh, including for weight loss because a lot of people try to do weight loss mainly by diet, and that's all to the good and more power to them. But it, it's uh, it's it's exercise and diet together that really that really work. The reason sitting is so bad, the reasons plural that sitting mm-hmm. is so bad, is that um, there are a lot of biochemical things that happen when you sit. The most obvious is we tend to put on uh, weight. We get fat. We get a lot of fat, uh, visceral fat. They call it. It's fat tissue surrounding our organs in our belly. And while it used to be thought that fat tissue was kind of just an inert blob of yucky stuff, um, mm-hmm. it now turns out that fat is a very active metabolic organ, which means it pumps out chemicals. In this case, something called adipokines, or more generically, cytokines. And these are pro-inflammatory. These cytokines uh, create a chronic low-level inflammation all through the body. And it's actually believed now that inflammation is the underlying culprit for many things, most notably uh, insulin uh, resistance and diabetes, but also atherosclerosis, the hardening of the arteries, many neurodegenerative diseases, etc. So it's a whole vicious cycle. And you can 
uh, reduce your chances significantly of falling into that if you don't sit too much, if you just get off the couch. Exercise is great, but just getting off the couch is even more important. Yeah, as you were talking, I'm standing up doing the interview, just so you know, I'm not sitting <laughs> okay, anymore. Okay, I will I've, too. <laughs> I've, I've angled my microphone up, I'm standing, I'm actually walking into place, do you hear me? I'm disappearing. There I am, I'm back to the mic, I'm walking a little bit, I'm back to the mic, there <laughs> I can I hear you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad you brought up the inflammation, because ironically, that is the one thing most health experts agree on. They may not agree on a paleo or a vegan diet, or if we should fast or not, but all of them seem to agree, inflammation's the root of all disease, so it's so important that you bring up that inflammation. I do you know in your book you share a really scary statistic you said sitting is so lethal it's responsible for 5.3 million deaths worldwide that's pretty profound uh that's a it's lot of people scary and you know the the other statistic that uh, came from a i think it was a 2012 study maybe it was 2014 um even people like me and hopefully you who exercise quite diligently i i probably do do about an hour a day of right. swimming or treadmill or walking um even if you get uh, an hour a day or 7 hours a week if you sit for 7 hours a day you're still getting a lot of the risks of sitting so it's great to do you know really vigorous or or moderate exercise like walking but if you then sit at your desk or your tv or whatever for seven hours that's still bad you still have to get up off the couch right the and, and you know you bring up that four-letter word time and i know i, I treat yes. a lot i treat a lot of soccer moms that in my office they, they they say look i i juggle a full-time job taking care of family uh, i don't have time to exercise how much time is, what's the minimum needed to be healthy? What can they squeeze in in, in 24, actually, it's 20, 168 hours in a week. I mean, if they can't find what, <laughs> two, three, four hours in that week? Is that what it is? Well, I have two answers for that. Uh-huh. Um, the the recommendations from the government, which, unlike some government recommendations, are actually pretty good. They're put together by a lot of uh, exercise physiologists and sports scientists. The minimum should be 150 minutes a week, and that boils down to half an hour a day, five days a week. And that's moderate intensity exercise. Moderate, by the way, means right. while you're doing it, you can talk, but you can't sing. But the other answer to your question of how do you fit it in is a new, new-ish thing called high-intensity interval training, or HIT. Um, this, is, uh, this is taking the whole world of exercise science by storm. Right. It's a way to get the big bang of exercise in fewer and fewer minutes. There's a wonderful book by a, uh, Toronto, by a um, McMaster University exercise physiologist, Martin Jabala. It's called The One-Minute one Exercise, or One-Minute Workout. And, I mean, that is a little on the short end, but you can do, right. if you do this in interval, training, uh, you can get a lot of the cardio benefits. And it's pretty simple. I mean, what I do is, is I made it up myself. I go on the treadmill, I go pretty fast for one minute, and then slow, very slow for the next minute, back and forth, back and forth. The idea is to be really intense for 30 seconds or a minute, and then rest and then do it again. And you can get a lot done in 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Yeah, I had uh, exercise guru Denise Austin on the show, and she gave me, you know, my listeners as well, some great tips on how to incorporate exercise while doing housework. And she says things like balancing on one leg while you're doing the dishes works your core muscles. And she recommended yeah. tossing, tossing the clothes out of the dryer and on the floor and do lunges as you pick each one up. I mean, <laughs> who thinks about this? You're, you're killing two birds with one stone. So there's really not any excuse of not incorporating exercise in people's daily regimen, is there? 
That's right. And you can also uh, walk around while you're watching TV. Um, you know, you go behind the couch and jump around a little while you're watching. I mean, you won't miss anything on TV and you still get a little exercise. So, yes, doing really dumb, simple things like that can really help. So it's really that they don't have to pump iron, run a 5K with a brisk walk, maybe 20, 30 minute walk after dinner. Does that qualify? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It really does. And, you know, but so, some people, especially in, in cities, uh, worry about taking a walk because of the danger of being on the street if right. you live in an unsafe neighborhood. Right. But that's where you can walk in your hallway, walk in your house. Some people go to the mall. It also helps for people to um, do things in a group, like meet somebody at the mall to go for a walk or meet somebody for a, a morning or evening walk or join a class if you can afford to go to a gym. Um, there are lots of ways. You just sort of have to kind of get yourself off the couch and, and just do it. Just get moving, yeah. I know in your book you share how exercise can help turn back the sands of time and increase our lifespan. How does exercising affect aging? Well, there are nine basic hallmarks of aging or processes that go on in our cells uh, due to the passage of time. Um, this came about from a study in 2013 by European scientists, and I won't say all the technical names right. um, on the air, but there's a couple that really stand out. One is called, uh, involves your mitochondria. The mitochondrion is the singular and mitochondria is the plural. Right. And these are little organelles inside cells that take the food we eat and combine it with the oxygen we breathe to make energy. And energy is actually not just a concept. It's a molecule called ATP, which stands for adenosine triphosphate. And what happens with the passage of time as we get older is our mitochondria kind of poop out. Um, they just, you know, there are fewer and fewer of them. And what the research has shown is that exercise directly through a very um, intricate biochemical system triggers the creation of more mitochondria. Literally, you're making more mitochondria when you exercise. And the, the result is huge. Even just one bout of exercise can increase the mitochondria. And you, you do it. That's one reason why people do feel like they have more energy when they exercise, even though that sounds counterintuitive. It's a very powerful uh, scientific finding that I find personally very, very motivating if I start to yeah. think, oh, geez, should I exercise? Yeah. Like, well, I got to get some more mitochondria. Yeah, I think mitochondria health is like the future of medicine. I really do. I think that, that we're really going to see that really expand, as, as, especially if you exercise, it expands, which is a good thing. Yes. I mean, some people are thinking that we should measure mitochondrial function as just like we take blood pressure or pulse rates for people. Right. It's a very important thing. And you shared something that was really a profound research on how exercise lengthens a person's telomeres. Share what these are and how exercise plays a role. Okay, that that's a, a very controversial and and um, not nailed down uh, finding. I personally think there's a, there's a lot of um, correlational evidence right. suggesting that the actual nailing it down sort of biochemically is yet to be proven. And there mm -hmm. are people who think we have overstressed uh, telomeres as as a uh, marker of aging. But the fact remains, these telomeres are like the little plastic things on the ends of shoelaces. Uh, it's just a chunk of DNA that sits there doing nothing except keeping the, the DNA strands from unraveling during mm -hmm. cell division. We're born, a baby is born with about uh, 
uh, 10,000 lengths of, of telomeres. And by the time we're in later life, we're down to 5,000. So telomere shrinkage, they call it telomere attrition, is a major hallmark of getting older. And the, But it turns out that the people who exercise seem to be either able to maintain the telomere length they've got or potentially even increase it. But again, this is a... This is a very uh, debatable uh, topic in, in telomere science, but it's it's worth <laughs> worth worth paying attention to. Yeah, who knows what the future will show with that. Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that this episode is being brought to you by Carnivora. In 1985, former U.S. President Ronald Reagan wanted something to strengthen his immune system. And having therapies from around the world at his disposal, he chose Carnivora, a nutritional powerhouse made from extracts of the Venus flytrap. Carnivora contains 17 naturally occurring compounds that helps lower inflammation and support a healthy immune system. It's the product that I take daily to keep my immune system at its optimal level. You know, being bombarded every day with all these chemicals and free radicals and pesticides, it can wreak havoc on our immune system. Even daily stress can lower our body's ability to combat disease. If you want to decrease internal inflammation and boost your immune system, order Carnivora today at Carnivora.com. Say goodbye to internal inflammation, boost your immune system, and start living the healthy life that you deserve. Carnivora.com. I know so many people out there listening, they're, they're, they're spending so much money on these anti-aging creams, fillers, and all this laser therapy. Can exercise be a cheaper and maybe even more effective way of improving skin tone and warding off wrinkles? Uh, yes, I actually do have, um, I have a chapter in the end, in the, uh, end of the book, and one of the questions I answer, this is kind of a Q&A chapter, right. is that exercise does benefit the skin. I mean, among other things, is a very obvious thing that exercise improves circulation, and that benefits the skin as much as anything else. Um, so that is a major thing, and also there are hormones put out by muscle cells um, that seem to have a good effect in combating the aging of the skin. I mean, I don't think you're going to look 20 if you're really 80, but um, you'll look like a much healthier 80 if you do exercise. Yeah, well, they, they say this year's 80 is last year's 79. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no matter how you slice it, it's still last year's 79. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let me, exactly. Exactly. I want to bring up depression. I know according to the World Health Organization, I read that 264 million people suffer from depression, and that's a, that's a big number. That's a lot of people. Share with us how exercise is a better solution than these antidepressant drugs. Well, I don't actually claim that it's a better solution. It's certainly a first line of defense. Right. It's sometimes as good as medication, so it's certainly worth trying. I wouldn't want to discourage people from seeking right. medical care if they really needed it. But it's a very cool thing biochemically, if your listeners can bear with me for one second. Sure. Um, when we exercise, our brains pump out a chemical that scientists kind of jokingly call miracle grow for the brain. Its technical name is BDNF, which stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which just means it's a chemical put out by the brain when you exercise. And this chemical lands on a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which right. is important for memory, but also 
for mood. The same chemical helps protect our minds from uh, aging-related dementia and, and loss of memory or, or reduced memory, wow. but it also seems to be the crucial thing for mood. Um, this BDNF, this chemical miracle Grow, appears to work in conjunction with a chemical we all have heard of, serotonin. And right. the two of them together, um, triggered by the BDNF triggered by exercise, can really help prevent depression and help treat it once you've got it, if you've got it. And the data on this are astounding. There are so many studies, uh, you know, buttressing this point. It's really, it's very, very solid science. Yeah, I know in depression, a lot of science is now linking that to gut health. When our gut's not healthy, we get more depressed. I had a big gut issue a couple of years back. I felt it firsthand. And research is showing, you know, the gut microbe plays a major role in our immune system and so many other things. I know in your book you talk about how exercise can improve the health of our gut. That's something I've not heard before. Share the exercise-gut connection. Yeah, I have a whole chapter on what they call the microbiome. These are essentially the, the quote-unquote good bacteria that have evolved with us to live in our bodies. And in general, those of us who have a sedentary lifestyle, kind of the Western lifestyle, sitting around too much and eating too much, we have a much less diversity in our microbiome than people who uh, you know, they're more physically active and they have a better diet. Um, there was one really interesting study where they took, they looked at African Americans in this country and African Americans in Africa. And the ones mm -hmm. in Africa tended to eat much more fiber and they switched them to the, our American diet and their microbiomes got worse. And in the United States, they switched the, American African Americans to the higher fiber diet and right. their microbiomes got better. And there's been some recent evidence that exercise uh, can can be able to do this as well. That link is not as solid as the dietary link, but it's a subject of really hot debate. And you know, in general, in this country and and, and in the West in general, we have a very you know high processed food, um, many too many calories a day, and in, you know stuff that is really not good for keeping a healthy microbiome. Right. And since you bring up food, uh, you know, a lot of these people, they overload protein, protein when they're working out. They feel that's so important. What's your opinion on overdosing with protein, protein powders, protein shakes, protein candy bars? Do we need all that protein <laughs> when we exercise? Protein candy bars sounds sort of like an oxymoron. Oh, but, oh no, um, they're out there. Yeah, I mean, apparently, uh, from what I've learned, you need about 20 to 40 grams of protein, and it's good to take it uh, after exercise, but you don't have to be uh, obsessive about it. Some people think you have to, like, drink the protein shake the minute you get off the track right. or out of the pool or whatever. Um, you know, sometime in the next few hours or even the next 24 hours is probably fine. Um, in terms of the dangers of too much protein, I didn't get into that too much in the book because the book is really more about exercise than mm -hmm. nutrition. Right. But, you know, common sense can, can get you a long way. Yeah. What about weight training for stronger bones? I have so many female patients coming in with injuries from weightlifting because they've been told that's what's necessary to fight osteoporosis. So they pump iron. Is there any truth to this? Do they have to lift weights? Uh, that, that was uh, the only chapter that really got me a little depressed because we've been telling people, especially women, especially postmenopausal women, if you just go and lift weights, you'll have strong bones. Right. What's, and, and that message is wrong. 
Um, the, the truth turns out to be we all do build bone through adolescence. So that's the time to be jumping around and, and landing on your feet hard and, and just, you know, a lot of weight-bearing exercise. Once you've got the bone, what exercise can do is help keep you from losing it too fast. Um, can't really rebuild it. But, and here's the, here's the important thing, um, what exercise can do is make your muscles stronger and to some extent your balance stronger. Mm -hmm. And that means you're less likely to fall because the big problem is not osteoporosis per se, it's falling. And if you have more muscle strength and better balance, you're much less likely to fall. So that's where the exercise connection turns out to come in with bone. Not so much that it's a direct thing. You, you, you pump iron and your bones get bigger. Yeah, that's great. You know, a lot of people, they hear this, and we're at a good part of the year now where people are, oh, great, I want to learn about exercise. But if I had you on at the end of the year or even the middle of the year, eh, not so much concern. People are more, hey, it's a new year, new me. What can they do to stay motivated after this new year, new you wears off? Because everybody's got their New Year's resolution, and then in a few months, they don't care. What can they do to stay motivated to exercise? That's the biggest complaint. People don't have the motivation or they don't find the time. Well, the time thing uh, we we did deal with, you know, you can, um, you know, working into your days, you said while you're vacuuming or washing the dishes or something, mm -hmm. or you can do the, the high-intensity interval training. That helps a lot with the right. time factor. In terms of the motivation, I have to be be honest. I mean, every time I re read a chapter in my book, I get re-motivated. I mean, thinking, oh, my God, this is building new mitochondria. I better get back to work. Right. Or this is really helping ward off depression. I mean, it, it is hard to change behavior. But the good side is you, you tend to feel better when you do. In fact, there's, um, there's some uh, data that I talk about in the book that we used to think that endorphins, which people have heard of, are the reason you feel better when you exercise. But it turns out it's really the uh, marijuana-like substances that right. we make in our own bodies. Uh, it's called the endocannabinoids. That means made in the body and right. cannabinoids are cannabis molecule mm -hmm. and this is what gets stimulated stimulated by exercise and people get the runners high or the bikers high or the swimmers high you really feel it you feel better when you exercise that helps too to remind yourself like oh you know if i do it i'll probably feel better right and you know we talked about energy giving us more energy the mitochondria but exercising helps people sleep better how does it do something That's completely right. opposite yeah explain that uh, well, there, yeah, there's a lot of data that um, exercise, not so much in the late afternoon, you know, in the evening. Right. Don't exercise like right an hour before you go to bed, but in the late afternoon or anytime you can work it in, basically, it helps sort of reset your metabolism so that you're ready to go to sleep as your temperature naturally falls later in the day. And exercise also seems to work through uh, the circadian rhythm mechanisms in the brain to help people get over jet lag faster. So it does affect these basic kind of night-day uh, rhythms that we have built into our bodies. Right. And so, I mean, people listen to this. We, we know exercise helps the heart. It helps combat disease. helps you sleep better, which most people don't have a good night's sleep, and it helps you have more energy. Most people are lacking that. 
uh, exercises to people listening. Why not do it? But like I said, in, in, in three, four, five months, they don't have that, that, that drive. And, and, you know, we talked about time with something I want to share with I'm thinking about. It. I have patients tell me they don't have time to exercise. I write the word T-I-M-E on a sticky note and I hand it to them and I ask them what they see. And I circle the word I and the word me. And I remind them that the word time is trying to tell them something, put themselves first. Just like when that oxygen mask drops in an airplane, you're supposed to put it on yourself before you worry about others. I've actually had people tell me they put that sticky note on their mirror and it reminds them to exercise t-i-m-e <laughs> and also um gretchen reynolds of the new york times had a recent column that actually debunked the idea that people don't have enough time when you really look at how people spend their time they do have a half an hour a day not maybe not every day but um most of the time you can do it you're, you're choosing to sit down and watch television or you know just not get out of your chair. I mean, there are choices that we make that are so familiar and habitual, we don't even realize they're a choice, they're a habit. But um, we do actually have the hours in the day to do it. Personally, I find it has to be non-negotiable. You you, you have to say to yourself, oh, I have to exercise today. It's not like, maybe I will, maybe I won't, let me see how I feel. You know, it it has to be the default position that you do it. That's true. There's that uh, that saying, 21 days makes a habit. Is that still true? If you exercise 21 days, now it becomes part of your regimen. Otherwise, it's like, you know, three, four days, you don't get interested. Is there still truth to that? Uh, I don't know about the 21-day figure, but it does make sense. I I don't have any data on that point, but uh, it makes total sense. Yeah, I've noticed that, you know, with me, it's like, you know, once I hit that third week, I'm like, oh, I, this is now a habit. But before that, it's like, ah, got to go back. You know, when you're out of that yeah. mode, it's to get back in there. So that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Really with anything, with diet, with exercise, with, you know, changing well, your lifestyle. One other thing that helps a lot of people is to to make it a social event, to, you know, have a walking partner or a swimming partner or something, you know, that you're, you're obligated to this other person to meet them at nine o'clock in the morning for a walk or five o'clock for a, you know, session at the gym or something. So you'd be letting down a friend if you don't show up. And that also helps people kind of stick to the program. So true accountability that you can bring up such a good point is, is you know, it's easier to just press uh, snooze and say, oh, I'm going to sleep in than, oh, oh right. I'm going to meet Bob. Bob's waiting for me. He's going to be ticked off if I didn't show up. So, yeah, that makes that's a good point, though. Fantastic. Yeah. In the uh, minute or so we have left, is there anything else that you'd like to share about exercises, medicine that we didn't get into? Just that it, it, exercise triggers so many different molecular changes in the body in the positive direction that although there are exercise mimicking pills on the market and anti-aging pills coming up, um, exercise affects so many possibly like a thousand different molecular changes in the body every time you exercise. No one pill is going to come close. So you, it's like you got to do the real thing. And it can be enjoyable. It really can, and you'll feel better for it. So true. Thanks so much for being with us. The book is called Exercise is Medicine. It's really a highly researched and well-written book. It's easy to follow. It's got a great format. I recommend everybody get a copy. You can go to judyforman.com, and while there, be sure and check out her informative blog post and additional resources available for you on this great site. You can follow Judy on Facebook and Twitter at Judy Foreman. For my daily social media post, you can follow me at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram 
at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Judy share something today that would benefit somebody that you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyougoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can subscribe to future podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned. Stay well. All right, show's over. You can get those shoes on and start run, run, running. Till next time, we'll see you soon.